Balls and balls and balls. In honor of no women, who are your favorite on-screen movie bros? I'm Matt Patches, and I am going to go with Jeremy Piven in PCU. I guess his character name is Draws, but that is a very funny movie that played on Comedy Central every single day of my entire childhood, and funny, funny, funny. Call me old school. My name's David the Seven, a pothead and a Mexican. But I say Cheech and Chong. Hey, old school. Hey, thanks. <laughs> and uh, I'm Neil Miller, and I love bad boys. Literally the movie Bad Boys. So I'm going with Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett, Will Smith, my, Martin Lawrence. Uh, they did two, hopefully five more movies together. Bad Boys Cinematic Universe. Exactly. Let's expand that, mother. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fighting in the War Room. This is episode 126 for Thursday, July 7th, 2016. We're down a few people, actually. It's just me, and it's Dave with a 7 Gonzalez, and we have a very special guest, Neil Miller of uh, Storm of Spoilers. Neil, hello. Hello. Thank you. Uh, I'm honored. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Because uh, David is at a, uh, a film festival far away, so he couldn't be here. And uh, you may have noticed... Actually, you probably did not notice, but I'm going to tell you that you should have noticed. I did not read a fact about this day in time, because today's day in time is, uh, on this day in 2016, Charlie McGugan Baltus is two days old. Woo! That is right. Woo. Katie Rich Baltus has had her child. Uh, the long-awaited arrival of the next generation of fighting in the war room is here. Not official. That's, that's not canon, by the way. Fighting in the War Room, the next generation is not greenlit. We're hoping to go forward eventually. Yeah, the Maybe trademark papers years. haven't gone through. Patches wasn't supposed to say yeah, that. Yeah, sorry yet. about that. Uh, I'm spoiling already. But uh, yeah, so, so Katie is out for a little while uh, as she raises a child. Totally acceptable. Um, but that- we're gonna have a we're gonna have a replacement. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Joanna Joanna Robinson come in and take take the ladies' seat. Yeah, but we definitely she's a- need some. Uh, Alternate chromosomes up in this hizzy. Bringing in the big guns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is, if, if as we will about, we're, we're about to read some reviews, and the people demand their Joanna, and apparently they're going to get their Joanna, I hope. I didn't want to say that because I didn't want to force her into anything. No, this is this is audio blackmail. I know I she's see. listening to this. I, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. <laughs> it's over soon. Uh, so let me read two reviews that we got uh, in the last few days. Oh, and thank you to everyone who listened to our... Uh, Quarter Quell, our 125th episode, which was in honor of this next generation that we're talking about, movies that we want to pass on to to the young people uh, who are not yet in our lives, or in Katie's case, now very much in their life. Uh, Life-changing. Um, but I hope you all listen to that, and I would love to... Some people left comments on fightingintheworm.com about what movies they would pass on. Some people tweeted them. Uh, the more the merrier in terms of that. So please jump on all of the platforms and share. Um, but in terms of reviews, uh, I'm going to read two here, one short, one little longer. Um, the first one is from Jeff and CA, who writes, It's okay! 
But the bumper music is great. Well, I'll take that. Three of the... the Dave should take that, really. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, I take the uh, review episodes, if anyone cares for that bumper music. Probably not. Three of the four regulars are quite reliable, though not always reliably good. Hmm, fair. Dave Seven seems like an actual person with real interests and an ability for rational thought. Hey, look at me. Ah, fuck off. He seems to have an adept knowledge of various subject matters and is able to translate that to be accessible to the layman. His comments are always welcome, though, uh, though they are the most sparse. Katie needs to be more forceful in her expression. Maybe now that she's a mother, that will happen. Uh, I think she already was, personally. But uh, This show is improved with each of her contributions, but unfortunately she allows herself to be talked over too much because we're loudmouths. David is also a bro uh, aboard the re- reliability train. He's also a bro. Yeah, but unfortunately <laughs> for all of us, he is simply a hater. Once in a while, he'll drop a pearl of wisdom, but too often to find it, uh, we need to dig through a heavy amount of pretentiousness that makes the whole experience less fun. I do appreciate his vocabulary, though. He does have a very extensive vocabulary. Uh, not on the train of reliability is Patches. Oh. I get the uh, <laughs> impression that he gets his opinions from Magic 8-Ball. They seem to be random and disconnected from anything resembling consistency his reviews could consist of i like slash dislike x because uh brackets reasons that's a math problem uh where reasons can be anything or nothing but beyond all that what i find i like the most is the bumper music i understand dave chooses much of it and it's always fresh relevant and interesting the sound mixing is a bit loud though one more comment i wish the discussion of movies uh it's impossible to see is limited to brief mentions indie or little known films are great but if the film is only in a festival and not possible to see for some odd number of years i get literally no value in listening to long segments about things that are impossible to see uh well thank you jeff and ca we i i even appreciate your comments on how crazy my opinions seem to be. I think the reason yeah. we, we talk about things that might be impossible to see at this very given moment are so that you that you take a note and and find these movies. A lot of the times, the, the best things need to be discovered. They need to be hunted down. They're not served to you in, in a multiplex. Am I, am I crazy here? No, or you can loop back on stuff. I mean, the nice thing about podcasts is it's up there as long as I keep it up there. So when you eventually do get to see it, Loop back and hear what we had to say because, uh, you know, if we did a podcast about it, we've, we feel like we've critically evaluated it. Yeah, we're committing it. serious time to talking about this shit. This is no joke. Um, and a short review, not garbage. Five-star review from Miri Mazdur, who says, The hosts have perfect chemistry, and I enjoy that they don't shy away from calling each other out when someone says something ridiculous. Oh, we do do that. Love the guests as well. More Joanna and Jordan. I believe Jordan Hoffman. Um, Wow. That's a pro-Jordan comment and a Joanna comment. Um, And pro-us as chemistry. You know what? Part Joanna Robinson and part Jordan Hoffman kind of makes a Neil Miller. Yeah. (laughs) When you put them in the fly teleportation machine, uh-huh. they become Neil Miller. I think on a on a hair scale, I'm exactly in the middle. Like <laughs> nice. how much hair I have. That's probably where you <laughs> want to be, ideally. No offense. Oh yeah, no. For who would lean you in one direction. Um anyway, we should thank you for, <laughs> for leaving reviews. We need them. Uh now more than ever, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. I'm not gonna name names, the billion podcasts. Uh but we need to we need to climb the ladder. We certainly need to beat Storm of Spoilers, which is these two guys' podcast. I mean, why are now that Game of Thrones is over? I'm really hoping we kick your ass on the iTunes chart. Yeah, I don't know. We are going to do a Billions episode, so I think you're in trouble. There's so many spoilers (laughs) for Billions. We'll be ruined. Um, But yeah, five stars, comments, whatever you want to do, or and go on fighting in the war room. 
com and leave us your uh, your answers to all our questions for this episode. Let's get on with the show. So we're talking about Swiss Army Man, which uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> hell yeah we are. We're talking about a movie. Have you guys heard of this movie, Swiss Army Man? It is. I have. I, w- I went and saw it this weekend, and it, it's really hard for me to get it off my mind. I'm whoa. Really don't want to do. I, I just want to jump right into spoilers. You shouldn't let me talk first. It's a it's a very infectious movie. I think we should set it up and tell people uh, a little bit about it before we uh, and this is actually a movie that people can go see it is expanded and <laughs> released as of last week and, and it, it did stars, quite well in a limited release so I would did very well it's going to roll out to more and more theaters it's getting a little bump because there's a filmschoolrejects.com pull quote on the poster which I think is very important <laughs> that's true but it is uh, it's a movie with Paul Dano it's a it's a movie of all Dans so it's Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe directed by the filmmaking duo Daniels it's Whoa. about a guy who is stranded on an island, and he finds a dead body who is gaseous, and this gaseous dead body leads him on an adventure. I feel like that's about as far as we need to go with uh, with describing the plot, because yeah. from there, it's, it gets weird. It's strange, and... It is definitely a existential journeyman comedy It's a very mercurial drama. movie. Yeah, the, it could be likened to The Revenant, if we want to make the most obvious connection in the proximity of pop culture from the past year. You know, it is it is two men on a journey braving the wilderness eventually. One, obviously, is dead. Uh, the other might be going crazy. At the beginning of the movie, he's trying to commit suicide, Paul Dano's character. Um, but he is he's given hope by this dead body, and then they take off. Uh, it's really castaway, but instead of a volleyball, it's a farting corpse. <laughs> yes. But we get to see what happens after. That's key. Right, um, right. And yeah, maybe we should raise a spoiler flag here, because as much as we could talk about in, in amorphous terms the, the themes of this, which I think is what gives Swiss Army Man the heart, which gives it its real comedic backbone, which is why so many people seem to be taken by this movie. Actually, it was an interesting screening, the premiere at Sundance. I'm, gonna, I'm going to name drop here. I, I sat behind Daniel Radcliffe at this screening, Oh my God, how many Harry Potter obsessed mothers came up to him, like looking for pictures and autographs before the screening? And he's very nice. Did you photobomb all of those pictures? I tried, but I was just a wrong angle, wrong angle. Um, but he, so many people came up to him. He's a, he's a big star in certain circles. And half the theater walked out of this movie. Uh, really? You have to understand about Park City is this is a very, very mainstream audience. People who do not go to the movies, but will go go to the movies and take a chance on something, especially if there's a name star in it. Um, because, you know, they're rich people skiing in Park City, Utah. Why not go see a Daniel Radcliffe movie? And this was a huge turnoff, um, which is probably why it is absolutely delightful. <laughs> and this was one of the public screenings, not a press screening? Yeah, this was the premiere. I feel like the press wouldn't wouldn't walk out on this no, movie. No, no, we were hooting it. It's home. right up our alley. But, um, Dave, you also love this movie, but let's alert people. We're going to talk a little about spoilers, what happens in this movie. So if you want to skip ahead five minutes or something, you can. 
Dave, why sure. did you love this movie? Uh, I loved this movie because I think it reveals itself to be like a fractured fairy tale about being like a lonely male uh, growing up. Um, I don't know if growing up is that I'm now older or if it's just like everything in like that period, you know, you could grow up no matter what age it is, but it sort of feels like uh, I never, I've moved past my own like personal issues with uh, what my own body looks like versus what I wanted it to look like when I was younger. Uh, But I feel like a lot of the things that I felt uh, during puberty and uh, during a lot of college, probably until like my senior year, uh, were echoed in this movie the same way that uh, something like Animalisa echoes the fear I have about being that same dirty man while I, when I get old. Uh, so it was really interesting to see like this comedy hit the perfect pitch where I was laughing all the way through it especially at the end scene, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, but then once I got out of it and like delved in the soundtrack and relived, tried to debate what actually happened in my head, uh, it opened up all the, uh, you know, philosophical questions that the movie was supposed to. So in that sense, I had like what I feel was the interaction the filmmakers were setting me up to have, which I feel is like also similar to like their turn down to what video, which starts out with like, you know, a moving penis and becomes like this huge multicultural party with the police. So, you know, I feel like similarly with Swiss army, man, they found like a hilarious way to grab my attention and then held it and then spiked, uh, dropped the mic and left me, left me thinking at the end. So, I mean, I've been really revisiting this soundtrack, which has a completely uh, melancholy mood, which is not, the mood of the movie at all, which is pretty much constant. Some of it does. There are also huge, like, uh, showstopper sing-song numbers that Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe contribute to. They sing sing along to them. Yeah, the, most of the soundtrack is uh, done uh, by the, uh, the, what is it, the Manchester Orchestra guys uh, who do uh, its vocal composition for this. Uh, and then a lot of it is taken from Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano's actual vocalizations for the movie and then sort of added over. But yeah, I was really not expecting this. I should have because A24 wide releases are worth my time, uh, especially this year. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. It's so okay, here's the spoiler part. I, I think the first scene through the title sequence uh, through him getting dumped in the ocean again is just a microcosm of what happens during the movie. I don't think it really happens. I don't think he's ever on an island. I think he's always on the shore close to his fixation, I guess would be the non-spoiler way I'd say that. And that makes the movie not so much about survival. It makes the movie about, you know, uh, finding yourself in like a dead person. It's like a fairy tale about uh, like love falling in love with inanimate things. Uh, and those things showing you how to love yourself. Or, or falling out of love with objects of affection, too. I mean, yes. loving what's in front of you and not really what's in your dreams. Yeah. Or then, oh, yeah. And then it has a lot of weird things to say about uh, when projecting empathy on somebody is a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if you're going to get that a lot your first viewing because it also has a lot of fart jokes and like a cork stuck up. Well, Daniel Radcliffe's butt. That's and, that's what I wanted to ask, Neil. 
uh, I, I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like you kind of dug this movie too. Um, oh, for sure. What a lot of the conversation has been about online has been farts, 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 like crazy uh, physical comedy, you know, Weekend at Bernie's on, on crack. Uh, and if you've watched the trailers, you've seen Paul Dano use Dan Radcliffe as a grappling hook and as a seltzer machine. <laughs> it's just like all he is the Swiss army knife to this adventure. He is the tool, the universal tool. Um, but also teasing the trailer are these bits where they're you know, dressing up. It's almost like Michelle Gondry uh, fantasy sequences where they're building cars. They build a fort in the woods and they're living as not exactly a couple, but uh, getting close to that. They're, they're kind of the, this friendship that they're bonding in the woods becomes something very intimate and heated. Um, and, and I feel like the conversation has gotten away from this aspect of the film, this about friendship or something more about romance uh, and about discovering it within yourself and not denying it because of all the farts but so does that work for this movie or is it just such a pleasure that you kind of overlook whatever is it is it hitting its mark on the thematic stuff for you i think so in and i think dave really gets to the heart of what makes it special um because you you're always looking we have this kind of inherent need to bring things down to their simplest explanation so you walk up to your friend and you say hey go see swiss army man and they go why and you say well it's a movie about it's kind of like weekend at bernie's but it's got a farting corpse you know just go see it and you'll know what i mean the you'll you'll know what i mean part is where this movie really gets you where where it becomes this emotional journey where it's surprisingly relatable but i think on the surface kind of like a weekend weekend at bernie's lives on that surface this movie has so much more that I think is very important. And on the surface, yeah, it is. It's, hey, this is a really weird movie that is about Daniel Radcliffe playing a flatulent corpse. And that's on its own interesting enough, I think. I, I was going through this experiment of having read all the reviews at Sundance and then trying to sell my two roommates on going to see this movie with me. And, and that was kind of where I started. And they were like, okay. And then I showed them a trailer and they were like, wow, this visually is very interesting. But then when we saw the movie, we realized there's this whole separate depth that this movie has to offer um, in the way that it creates mood with its soundtrack, in the way that performances um, really just are fantastic and in the way that it explores sexuality and depression and loneliness and it's it really i I think that it's okay for some of the conversation to be about how weird this movie is and about a farting corpse because that gets people in the door to see the things you can't really explain in one sentence yeah um i i mean i absolutely adore this movie too i don't know if it entirely lands the ending it doesn't know i mean there's no way to end this movie basically oh i think it it finds the perfect line to end this movie on maybe from the perfect character it kind of fizzles a little more than explodes to its conclusion it is a weird expectation game though where you're you're getting to the end of the movie and you know i was i saw it at the draft house so i knew when they dropped off the check that it was coming to a close (laughs) 20 minutes it's always a good timer and i was like all right well so is this all real or is this going to be a dream or is he dead or is like what what's going on um and i think they found a a fine line i i it's it's very tough movie to land and i think so far the only pushback i've gotten online 
from tweeting about it and whatnot is, oh man, the last 10 minutes, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And like, well, yeah, it does kind of make sense though. It's actually the most real approach you could have to the ending. Yeah. So it makes emotional sense know. in the end. I think you really feel a connection between Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe throughout that. And I think that's, that's the key to this movie. Right. And then Shane Carruth shows up. And that's really the confusing part. <laughs> and then the pigs take you right back to the beginning, and you get to see it again. I'm being serious. Shane Carruth is in the movie. Does he, he plays. Uh, he plays the, the coroner who comes at the end. Oh, the coroner. Oh, he does. It's, I will say this. Very weird. Uh, things I didn't know beforehand. Uh, one, Daniel Radcliffe really needs uh, good wax. Uh, mm. <laughs> you know where. Uh, <laughs> And uh, two, I did not realize how much Paul Dano with a wig on looked like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Wow. So there's that. That's truth. the key. That's there's how he a lot of truth part. bombs there. Yeah. Uh, so Swiss <laughs> Army Man is in theaters. It is not one of those movies that we talk about that you'll never be able to see. So see it. So for our mini segment, we're going to talk about something very specific and very nerdy and something that Dave and I are going to take advantage of the fact that David and Katie are not here again. Why wasn't Warcraft a bigger hit in the movies? We could have just done this for a reason instead of having to force it in. That's true. I'm sorry, Duncan Jones. Gul'dan is here to talk about. Well, we want to talk about Hearthstone, a game that Dave and I play quite a bit of uh, in our spare time. Hearthstone being the... Would you call it a, a spin-off of the World of Warcraft Would you, or of original Warcraft? Um, I would think so, yeah. Basically, it's a Blizzard digital car, collectible card game. Magic the Gathering you... for Warcraft. Yes, but okay. uh, a slightly simpler uh, system. Um, it's, then the interesting thing about it and what makes it so popular is that it's free to play. So anyone can download the app to your computer, your phone, your iPad, whatever, and create a free uh, battle.net account and jump into this game. And thus far, it's been around for two years. years yeah. Can I ask a question? Yes, yes. please. <laughs> is it free to play or is it one of those freemium games? It is games? free to play. It is free to play. And I have never bought anything using it. Now, you do have to pay to play the single player modes. Or do you? You actually can earn in-game gold just by playing. And if you're a patient lad like I... You can pay for everything just by playing. Or if you're antsy, you throw 20 bucks at the game and you can unlock a bunch of stuff. But it yeah, really okay. is uh, a pay or a no pay to play. Yeah, it's a. So basically, you get packs and those packs have different cards and those cards have different powers and they're different rarities. But uh, you get. There's a whole bunch of ways to get free packs. There's a weekly uh, tavern brawl, which is a special rules that go beyond the rules on your card and have two players face off. 
and you get a pack for the first one of those that you win. You get in-game currency for every three games that you win, and then also there are daily bonuses that the game allows you to sort of like pull you back in. So you don't need to necessarily... Or I found that the uh, game is very rewarding. I also... I actually did buy something. There was a hero you could buy Shame. for charity that I did oh. it for... It went, the money went to charity. Okay. Blizzard donated to you know some animals for Earth Day, so I bought a new hero. But I haven't bought any cards. But a- um, anyone can pick this game up and play it, and I think would actually enjoy it. It sounds nerdy as hell, but many people I know have picked it up and haven't had a very easy time understanding the game and the mechanics because it's it's simple. It's like get big creatures, attack your opponent, you win, or like have spells that defeat them. It's all very simplistic. Now. Here's the twist of this conversation and where it gets really nerdy. And if you haven't checked out already, my God, it's about to happen. Dave, Blizzard recently did an update after two years of the game where they added a new uh, pack or they added a new set of cards. Well, they, yeah, it's the new uh, expansion, they call it. It's the old right. gods, Which, whispers of the old And gods. they've done this before. They've added new cards. You have to do that with this kind of game. Keep expanding, keep changing the rules, make it more interesting for people. But here's... I've never seen a game really implode quite like Hearthstone. Now, it's not it's not dire. I'm still playing it and still enjoying it. But here's, here's a game that has added this Cthulhu system now i don't know if that's a world of warcraft reference it certainly wasn't in the warcraft movie uh unfortunately it is a world of warcraft oh, all is. the all the characters and cards uh, okay. are world of warcraft references so the cthulhu is basically like build your entire deck around this one card and then demolish your opponents in one swift move and you basically have to build decks to counter these new decks is this have you ever seen a game a video game or a board game or a collectible card game. Uh, look, I was a Magic the Gathering nerd back in the day. I maybe dabbled in the Star Wars collectible card game. Never played Pokemon, but I'm sure people who did can understand this. Have you ever seen something just totally destroy a platform quite like this? Uh, I don't know if it's totally destroyed because what happened is everybody got a Cthulhu uh, if you were joining in the, the Whispers of the Old God pack thing. And I think still, if you get your first pack, you're going to get a Cthulhu, oh, which is like a legendary minion. So what that actually does is you could build, like all the Cthulhu uh, buffing minions are really cheap. So I think it's actually a way that new players can build formidable decks. I think the thing that broke the game more was the auto uh, deck creation, the yes. like suggested decks, which are not well balanced. And if you're a new player and you just go for the suggested deck, I think you're going to have a harder time figuring out how to like balance a new deck. All this sounds really dorky if you haven't like played, but the reason that uh, Blizzard introduced this new pack expansion, uh, or when they did, they also split the system. So there's two... Uh, competitive ladders now. One's called Wild, where you could use all the expansions, and one's called Standard, where you could just use the past two years of expansions. Uh, so that's going to allow for some new players, hopefully, to sort of use Cthulhu Bates decks to get into it. And, you know, eventually the, the, the game's going to change, because like you're saying, Magic went the same thing, where at some point they had to, you know, switch around which cards were being printed and discontinue some cards from official play because if you're adding things all the time to get in new listeners you're going to break your system and hearthstone already was a really well balanced system it might be a little off balance now but we'll 
course correct. Maybe that's my problem. I never played tournament level Magic the Gathering. Woe is me. I, <laughs> if I could have, I would have, but I never did. And, and I was not used to being restricted in any way, nor was I used to being walloped by giant legendary cards. But that's I think that's the beauty of Hearthstone too, and why I would recommend it to someone who never picked up a collectible card game. It it really levels the playing fields. I mean, people who spend a lot of money probably get the best cards, but I honestly think that you could go into a match with anybody around the world who spent tons of money on games or tons of money on cards and win. Plausibly. Yeah. Well, let's let's do this as a way to close it out. If you're still listening, you might be interested in Hearthstone. You can be friends with Patches and I. Uh, the game's complex. There are classes, there are levels, there are ladders. So if you do ask to play one of us and we're online and we decline, please don't feel bad. It's not about <laughs> you. Uh, but if you want to add me, I'm James Baxter, J-A-M-E-S-B-A-X-T-E-R, number 1435. I'll, I'll try to do my shitty Cthulhu priest against you and probably embarrass myself and i am mr mr not my twitter handle just mr patches p-a-t-c-h-s uh one two five seven and you can i'm i'm worse than dave so you could probably beat me if you need a good uplifting moment we'll see you in the tavern Cthune. if it hadn't been for cotton i joe I'd be married a long time ago Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Alright, actually one thing before we start our segment three Over, over Fourth of July, we, we just lost a lot of good film people it was kind of crazy we lost robin hardy who directed the wicker man uh not too much else but i mean an amazing genre staple we lost michael uh cimino who directed notoriously directed heaven's gate but also directed year of the dragon and the sun chaser desperate hours or the deer hunter how could i forget thunderbolt and lightfoot i mean the the mega director we also lost uh abbas kirostami uh you know, mm-hmm. one of David's favorite. I, we will definitely be talking about Kirstami, who directed Certified Copy most recently, like Someone in Love, which we talked about both of those on the podcast quite a bit. Close Up, which is one of David's favorite films. We'll definitely be talking about Kirstami, I believe, probably next episode. I don't think David would let us not. So we will not steal that thunder. But we did want to recognize those people who left us this past week because it's, it's tragic. But I will not be one of those people who says, oh, 2016, won't you stop? I mean, this happens. This is definitely something that happens every year. Um, but Twitter and social media intensifies everything. And uh, it's, it's a, a rough downer. week for film Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Film Twitter was, was mourning, and for good reason. We lost a lot of people. They're also mourning, and this is a perfect segue. Um, this year kind of blows. This summer has been a real downer. <laughs> I mean, I think you guys would share this sense of it, and, but I will uh, expel it personally first. I can't believe what a bad time I'm having this summer. And I'm saying this, and we get a bad reputation on this podcast sometimes for being snobby or talking about things that nobody cares about or, you know, being up our own ass and not being uh, one with the people who care about big movies. Um, but look, I'm, I want to have a great time every summer, uh, every year, and see big, classic Hollywood 
genre movies, uh, blockbusters, and I'm not sure what's going on in 2016. And I wanted to take the temperature with you guys because I'm not even a Captain America Civil War fan. I know I'll be on the other side of the line. Some of you guys, so you could. <laughs> we see, know how you feel about Captain America Civil War. Yeah, Patrick. you can see how I'm already tumbling down the hill. I like X Men Apocalypse. That stands out as some uh, oh, one of the better movies of the year. Or of the summer, but I I, th- I guess the big one for me is like, where is our Mad Max, and will we ever get it? Was Mad Max a fluke? Are we all downhill from here this summer? What are we looking ahead to? What are the gems I'm forgetting? And what happened? What happened to this summer? Uh, Matt Singer, our colleague who uh, is the editor in chief of Screen Crush and uh, a podcaster on Film Spotting SVU, wrote a great article on Screen Crush where he tried to quantify why this summer was bad um, in terms of Rotten Tomato scores and um, box office. I think he toyed with that statistic a little bit. And it just seemed like, you know, year over year, it hasn't been that bad or it hasn't been notoriously low uh, yet. We haven't been through the whole summer, but comparatively... Ooh, I, have a th- I, have a, I actually have a theory. This might be a little off base, yeah. but you guys are the perfect people from which to share it. Here we go. Um, this is the first year that you are post-2012, you're post-Avengers, you're in 2013, 2014, you're like, I need to put some movies out, and you look at 2016, and you see Warner Brothers and Marvel, like, duking it out, like, a year and a half in advance. So you just, like... out. Or you just throw in something that seems like a sure thing two years ago. You give yourself a Ghostbusters reboot, or, you know, a a third Star Trek movie. The Star Trek movie really gets my goat because that is only here because it is the 50th anniversary year. The movie was rushed through production. They didn't have a script they liked when they, you know, decided what, you know, data was going to be on. And the advertising for it has been advertising to people who don't like Star Trek movies, which just seems like the weirdest fucking thing to do. Well, those the are the people you need to sell. Year. You don't need to sell people who like Star Trek movies. They're in. No matter what. I mean, see, you think that, but what's the last Star Trek movie? It's Into Darkness, which was failure with those exact people and normal four-quadrant people like showed up like they normally do, like the sheeple, the people who want to have a good time at the, at the movies. And, I, and I also, I don't want to say that I haven't had a good time at certain movies this summer, but I haven't like had my, my, my skirt blown up. Someone had to say it on this mail podcast. <laughs> I haven't had no, my mail skirt not. blown up by anything this summer. Well, I think, I, I think that's the key that Matt points on in his article is that while the Rotten Tomato scores are not comparatively bad, uh, at least side by side with other years when you take all of them from this summer, but if you only take like the major releases, $100 million plus box office hits uh, or failures, uh, those movies have dreadful Rotten Tomato scores, and those seem worse. And those are worse. probably being dragged up by Captain America Civil War being at like a 90. Right, which is way too high. We can all agree on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had fun. I, Spider-Man, I a know, good Spider-Man. I, I say it like every three years when there's a new Spider-Man. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I just... Uh, <sighs> Okay, what uh, what am I really missing if I feel like it? Originals. Is there something original that comes out this summer, came out this summer that I completely overlooked? Well, I think that you... I think the disparity that Matt identified in his article is real because if you're looking at just the highest budgeted, most spectacle-driven blockbusters, 
then yeah, this has been a pretty light summer. It's it's Civil War and then like Defining Dory and that's it. But if you look at lower on the scale, if you look at stuff like High Rise, The Lobster, Swiss Army Man, which we just talked about, um, and other movies, you know, like The Nice Guys, this kind of middling movie, then you've got some good stuff in there. Even like The Conjuring 2 got good reviews. So you have you have all of that stuff, but it really, it, it is, I think you're right, it is other studios trying to strike at just hitting a date, like Independence Day being the 20th anniversary of Independence Day. Um, then you have Star Trek. And then the rest of the stuff is just not... Oh, The Shallows. That's another one I wanted to mention as being oh, yeah. kind of a good middle middle ground. But the other stuff is just uninspiring. Even the Spielberg movie, the BFG, just didn't... It's well-reviewed, but nobody seems to care. Yeah, I don't know if it is a sign that nostalgia is passe if if there was a moment was actually here's a real question was nostalgia ever in vogue was it ever a hit mm. um, yeah that's a good uh, question I, oh that might just be a yeah that might be a misjudgment of something else like another thirst that we're having because like jurassic world seems like a weird anomaly in being like well jurassic world fin- yeah is the reason why everyone thought independence day resurgence was going to be a huge huge hit and why we probably had more faith in it being good than we should have uh, i don't know here's a question has roland emmerich ever made a good movie <laughs> well what's what's good there's a lot of degrees what's good it, well, that's what we're talking the about original, we're talking about summer movie good the original independence day it's close it's definitely close but you know what the difference uh, is Stargate's good. Stargate is... See, Dave, you like Stargate... Let me psychoanalyze you for a second. You like Stargate because on paper it is vibrant and and ripe for mythologizing. But in practice... No, no, you think I'm an SG-1 fan. I'm a... The movie exists and that's how the characters stopped existing fan. That first movie is like a weird little sci-fi fish out of water. They do fish out of water like three times. It's, you know, it's, um, the, 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 it is as, it's like the, the, the fifth element has an, a slightly more mature older brother, but he's still not an adult. That's, that's Stargate to me. <laughs> Why is that, that's Stargate to you? Well, yeah, because the fifth element is like obviously a teenage boy sci-fi movie with like the Ruby Rod and the, 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 cr- the craziness of how that world is presented but like the stargate has like a really weird vision of where our future and past go and like you know there's like this weird genocide thing going on but then they we also stop to laugh at how they say chicken it's just a really tonally odd movie that uh i, I feel like hits the roll ember pocket if there is one so that so we can all agree that roll Emmerich has barely made good movies yeah, barely, barely right. so we w- shouldn't have had that much faith in independence day resurgence and we shouldn't have been swayed by jurassic world so then what is the explanation for jurassic world a movie i don't know what you guys think i did not care i have for that a theory movie, but uh yeah i have a theory so yeah. and this came to me while i was watching independence day resurgence in that there is there's nostalgia and then there's the spirit 
of these movies. So in with Independence Day, the one thing that stuck out to me is that one was clearly made before 9-11 and the other one is clearly made after that. And there's this cynical sort of resonance that exists in these movies. And I feel like this summer what we're experiencing is we're experiencing a lot of stuff that is familiar to us. And I'm going to lump Batman v Superman in, even though it was in March. Batman v Superman, Civil War to a certain extent. I mean, think about what you really like about Civil War. It's all the fun parts. Maybe not necessarily the high drama of uh, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. You have Independence Day. It's it's all the stuff that we knew that we liked from before, but with all the joy just sucked out of it. And I think <laughs> that's one of the reasons why you know Marvel is is huge and Marvel's going to do well until it really makes a stinker. Which, um, but you look at a movie like Finding Dory. That's why it's been so successful because it's just there's a pure joy to it that we're not seeing in other blockbusters. You know, everything else is apocalyptic. It's huge stakes. It's the Ninja Turtles trying to stop the destruction of our planet. You know, it's the 15th time X-Men have had to change their mind and decide they don't want to kill all of humanity. And I think that's a same thing with like Warcraft. It's like this, you know, it's almost like I haven't seen it. So, Please I'm about to slap you on the face if once you diss Warcraft, but please. Continue. But there's just there's the stakes are so big that I feel like there's an exhaustion there, I, and I, I feel like people don't want to go see clashes of societies; they just want to go see a fish comedy. I think that's true, yeah. but then you have the Transformers movies make eight bazillion dollars every single time they come out, which I think, they just do well in China. Well, they do well here too. I mean. Someone is saying these. But I think that, and this actually speaks to the way that you were framing your point, which was, well, we should lump Batman v Superman into this too. Uh, Well, we can't, technically, right? This is the summer season, and uh, certain types of movies are, are, or in theory, are being lumped into this season uh, because people are out of school, families are ready to go to the movies on any day of the week. This is prime time for big, alluring pictures. And yet, now we have these kind of pillars of the year propping the year up. Um, February and March can now be a pillar slot. And December is going to be the Star Wars slot. And the beginning of May is pretty much owned by Marvel. And maybe the August, the first week of August is now going to be a true blockbuster slot. That's this year at Suicide Squad. But what what's really missing, or it's not missing from this summer, the really successful movies that are being overshadowed by colossal failures and true mundanity in terms of, of blockbuster filmmaking, which is why, you know, I was actually speaking to Katie's father uh, just hours before she gave birth to her child about he, he went to see an Independence Day Resurgence and just thought it was a cl- just a clusterfuck. Like, this man does not see that many movies. He hated it. Uh, I shouldn't be name-dropping here, but, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I think he's fine Mr. with Mr. Rich, yes, he might be listening to this podcast. I downloaded it onto his onto his phone just earlier. Um, but <laughs> you, I guess you're the Instagram of your own demise. Yeah, I'm like, please leave a review. Um, the, the, I guess the point I'm making is the movies are so big, there's nothing to talk about, right? There's no chances. And we talk about this all the time. Take a risk. Make an original movie. But why? Like, the true answer is that people want the Game of Thrones water cooler talk. And there's nothing feeding that this year. There's no what really happened or why did they make this choice? They're so big that they're they're riskless. They're, they can't feed us something to really chew on. 
Uh, and that's well, why the, the Conjuring movies... 2, and that's why even Central Intelligence makes you think a little bit more than uh, than Independence Day Resurgence or Warcraft. These move, or well, the maybe Shallows. that's the uh, that's the secret to the Marvel thing as well, which is there is something to talk about after Captain America Civil War. Yeah, but I think the, the problem with the Marvel movies, um, at least talking to, to bystanders who aren't as invested as we are into the, we're keeping up with it, is that they can't enter it at a certain point. Like if Marvel keeps snowballing, people are just going to get lost. They're not going to know what's going to, they're not understanding what's happening. I'm, they're not keeping up with I'm, it like Game of Thrones, which enters their television. I'm not weekly. exactly sure that's accurate, but I get like the fatigue that you're talking about. Like they won't want to enter it because they'd fear that. I don't know if Marvel's going to be stupid enough to actually close the, the continuity loop. Right. But do you, do you feel like you've seen a blockbuster this year that has had a theme? Oh, I mean the one that I think that's the good argument for you being right is I think what you're talking about is what gave Zootopia legs. Yes. Uh, where I was expecting you know, Shark Tale, like, let's tell a shitty story in a setting with animals. And I got uh, an actual discussion about minority groups. And because of that, I found myself recommending it to people who, you know, wouldn't see Zootopia. I'm like, this, you know, this is making a stand in the theaters for a reason. Uh, go, go check it out. But I think, like, Zootopia isn't a great, you know, Disney animated film, but it's going to get there i think with a slow burn it's going to become a fan favorite over time yeah i just i guess i miss the days of selling a movie on premise and that spectacle seems a little worn out and i think our big quote-unquote brainless blockbusters could do this especially you bring up star trek i don't know what this movie is about at all not saying that i need to know exactly what i'm getting myself into when i go into a movie that i need to watch eight trailers and kind of piece together the plot before I sit down and actually absorb it the right way. But I want to know what a third Star Trek movie is reckoning with. Like, who are these... I mean, this is the third journey with uh, uh, Chris Pine's Captain Kirk. Like, what is he going through? Why do I give a shit? And what is this saying about life? Like, we are living through the craziest fucking election of all time. The world is going to shit in all sorts of different places. We kind of touched on this a few weeks ago when I'm just talking about you know, finding joy in this dark, dark world. But I'd rather, I was thinking about Spielberg's War of the Worlds or the Lord of the Rings movies, why those movies took off. Um, because they're not just spectacle, they're also about something. And they were sold on top of the premise, right? They're sold on the thematic current. And I don't see a movie like that. But Mad Max, to speak to that, that seemed like a movie that was about something. And they were... Uh, like okay letting you know that yeah and i think that's what um neil was pointing out the success some of the mid-level movies have had have been uh the ones that could sort of sell on a premise and then execute um i'm not sure why i think the conjuring maybe comes the closest this year to bringing that to like a blockbuster scale and then like there's also what you know, the upcoming um it's here's a haunting but then it delivers a two and a half, almost two and a half hour movie on it that doesn't feel like long, you know? So like you get sold on like, we're going to see a ghost story and like basically the most visually stunning part is already in the trailer. So you've seen it, but you buy into like this tone piece that like 
is not based on jump scares, so I don't think it's completely a horror-based thing. It's more like a, a, a tentpole thrill ride, just in it's a director delivering on a premise and nothing more, which I think I think is what you were asking about. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's inching towards. <laughs> I that. Uh, I have a question. This is going to loop us back, but this Please. is interesting because I I remember. Um, you know, in the late 2000s, toward the end of uh, the kind of bulk of the Iraq War, there were articles written about how, you know, movies, they tend to, or they, they did tend to, even summer movies, tended to kind of reflect back the feelings of our society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rise of uh, movies like Hostel and all these kind of hyper-aggressive um, horror movies that came out around the time, kind of post Iraq war. And I wonder if we're in a situation where the movies that we're seeing come out are not reflecting kind of the worlds that we want to go to in the movies. Whereas like a show like game of Thrones reflects an escape from our current reality. I say all that just to get to this. Do you think Mad Max would be as successful this year post Donald Trump? as it was last year. Based kind of on the pre- amount of uh, a Morton Joe Donald Trump memes, <laughs> I feel like it would be more successful. <laughs> but do you think that's something people would want to go see given their current reality versus last year when it was just pure fantasy? I I think they would. I think people want... And Game of Thrones had the luxury of uh, already being political. You could literally graft mm-hmm. whatever's happening in the world onto Game of Thrones almost at any given moment. And because it's happening week to week and it is designed to instigate water cooler talk, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to naturally happen. That's what everyone wants to talk about. That's what everyone talked about all summer. Right now, we're just in this kind of like void. What do we do after Game of Thrones? Uh, mm-hmm. You guys keep podcasting about Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, you're, you're branching <laughs> out soon. Um, but yeah, it... it I think Mad Max would be more successful and other movies would uh, benefit from being, having that same like graftable uh, uh, mold, you know, to, to well, I mean, re, right. like dip a toe into politics. I mean, I guess Star Trek Into Darkness kind of did this, uh, unfortunately with like a conspiratorial edge uh, that was totally driven by paranoia and 9-11 imagery. I mean, we're kind of beyond, this is a weird thing to say, we're beyond the 9-11 moment, right? That was the Man of Steel complaint, and Batman v Superman went out of its way to undo, not undo, but to, to humanize this kind of 9-11 riff. Um, but, but none of these movies are confronting now. And that's well, it's that, difficult I mean, for they're all, to do. They're but. all just about destruction at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, it like. it's hard to, to to figure out what, you know, with your release schedule, what you're going to do. But at least trying to make a movie about something, I feel, you're more <laughs> likely, you know, you're more likely to hit anything that's, it doesn't sort, of, seem that's sort of close. It doesn't seem that crazy. It doesn't seem that crazy well, to say. And yet, Hollywood is so risk averse. But the, the flip side is, the Purge election year had an amazing weekend at the box office. Probably because it is straight up vicious, chaotic, sloppy satire. Uh, sure. Well, right. but and it's about also something. like and it's about something. Yeah, and and it's about something. But like I was living here during you know the Matrix being released, and I saw the Matrix pre Columbine. Columbine happened, and then like screenings went down, but you still go back 
to support the movie because you're like, obviously my movie didn't, my new favorite movie didn't cause this. And it's just like that sort of reaction in this localized area brought out, brought up a conversation with people, whether or not it was a conversation about the movie sort of fluctuated depending on how close you were to like the traumatic event. But like we needed a certain extent of this world isn't real uh, fed to us through action, uh, even if it seemed in like a in, in an inappropriate way. So I'm not going to say that it's like all this destruction's bad, but I feel like Neil was talking about we had like a post Iraq war we had frustration, and we talked about on an earlier episode that machismo and cinema is sort of like dying down. It's like we haven't figured out how to vent our frustrations in a visual way, um, and we're also hitting across uh, a time period where you know, finally movie studios are listening to audiences saying they feel sensitive about representation or race or, you know, whether or not certain things are destroyed with people in it or not. So it's like, we don't have a cold war thing where it's like, Oh cool. Let's beat up on Russians for two hours and everybody could cheer and have fun time. Maybe it's too confusing right now to make relevant blockbuster movies. How can you appeal to the four quadrants and, try and provoke in an interesting way or get people thinking. I was just listening to Mark Marin's podcast interview with um, John Carpenter. Very short, very kind of surface-level stuff, but he did touch on one thing, which is just like, hey, John Carpenter in the 80s wanted to make They Live, a super political F.U. Reagan-era movie through the studio, and he did it! He could just do that! Um, And clearly no one is allowed to do that now, uh, the most political movie that we have, and I'm not saying all these blockers need to be political. They can, they could be about social issues. They could be about representation. I don't know anything. The most political movie we have this summer is Ghostbusters, and not for the reasons, <laughs> and, and for the wrong reasons, all for the wrong reasons. Yeah, but don't you think that's the only conversation we're having about a movie coming out in the next month? And but yeah, is sure. that a positive? Yeah. Maybe it's a positive. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. That's actually the ultimate test of the convergence of politics and, and nostalgia. Because if there's any movie that would benefit from nostalgia, it's going to be Ghostbusters. But it's yeah. getting killed with politics. I mean, I think I think at some point people just want to watch Blake Lively survive a shark attack. You know, I guess for sure. I guess that's the character based escapism that, that the world needs right now. I, uh... Yeah, everybody's that seagull. Yeah, people love that. Well, to to wrap up here, I guess, what movie are you looking forward to this summer? What gives you hope about this kind of dire situation that we're in? Or are you just waiting to get to September, October, November, December and and get some, quote unquote, prestige pictures up in this joint? Prestige pictures of Uh, Doctor Strange, by the way. Um, if, If I can't if I can't get Ghostbusters being good, I'm going to go for once again. Since I think that The Conjuring worked and might be the closest thing, I'm going to go for another horror movie that goes wide. Lights out. The premise is there's something that lives in the dark. I guess this movie's going to have a lot of creative light. Dave relates. Just ex- just execute just execute <laughs> that premise for me in like an hour and a half and you know have one or two scares that aren't based on loud noises and I'll be on Team Lights Out. Speaking of representation, Dave and Lights Out. Um, <laughs> Neil, what about you? Uh, so I've, I've, I have hope for Ghostbusters still. Um, and I actually have a little hope for Star Trek, but we'll see. But I think the one that really 
gets me, and this is going to go right down the the Finding Dory Lane, which is Kubo and the Two Strings, yeah. which is the new Leica oh, movie. Yeah. It's just they just make movies that are meaningful, that are substantive, and this one also has Matthew McConaughey. So there's that. Although I'm I'm, I'm anticipating the like McConaughey's playing a. Or there's there's some race bending. Oh well, yeah, because all the characters are are of uh, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent by describing, but I think there's some race bending weird casting. The could... the the kid who plays Kubo is uh, Rickon, Rickon Stark from Game yeah. of Thrones, so that's close. <laughs> deeply problematic on, on a level beyond race <laughs> or anything. It's just Rickon. Um, I'm hoping Jason Bourne can can pull itself together and be good i was really intrigued actually speaking of what is the movie about you know matt damon went on a big tour when they first announced it saying that this is going to be the edward snowden version of jason Bourne, whatever that means and color me intrigued he's but, a hacker now yeah exactly I, I yeah it's the whole time he's shaky cam sitting at a computer you won't be able to tell what he's doing <laughs> uh not that i could tell what jason Bourne did in any of the previous movies i was rethinking like what are those movies about what happens in them no idea. I really. He can't. figures out who he is. Yeah, something yeah, like that. In all of them, right? That secret spy organization that he was born. He goes to. I've remembered my teenage years. <laughs> I touched my first boob in Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch the coming of age Jason Bourne story. Um, yeah, so th- that's this summer. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. How do you, how do you feel? Is this am I? We're we being too pessimistic. Uh, are there are there gems in this in this rough of summer 2016 or should we just look ahead to 2017 when uh we have a new pirates of the caribbean movie and a guardians of the galaxy 2 and uh, the divergent series comes back <laughs> when's that new space jam coming oh boy that's uh that's all we really care about uh so yeah that's the summer keep on summering All right, that does it for this week's episode of Fighting in the War Room. We had such a great time at this sausage fest. Neil Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you. Get your Hearthstone um, account going. Yeah, yeah. You, Don't worry, I'm working on it. No, Matt's going to fart you there. Just get on his back, <laughs> and we'll, he'll fart you all the way Whee! to collectible card games. And you can avoid the movies. Um, we will not have a review episode this week. We will be back next week with a new Fighting in the War Room and a new Storm of Spoilers and a whole bunch of new podcast things for you. But until then, Neil, where, people could, where can people find more of your excellent work? They can find uh, my vocal stylings on Storm of Spoilers. Uh, they can find me tweeting at Rejects and writing words on filmschoolrejects.com. Patches. I am Matt Patches. I'm the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Remember, we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where you can uh, listen to the episodes, you can share the episodes, or you can leave comments about this summer or your Hearthstone tags. We can wallop you with our cthoons or fart movies, yada, 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 fightingintheworm.com. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Uh, you could find my writing on latino-review.com and geek.com. My Twitter handle is da 7 e the show's Twitter handle is F-I-T-W-R, where you can tweet us this lightning round question if it doesn't offend you. In honor of no women being on this week's podcast, who are your favorite on-screen movie bros? Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be talking to you next week. 